Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Five sixty, the Joe Radio Rewind, running back some of the best you've heard here on Five Sixty over the past twenty-four hours. It is a feel-good Friday, so you know I'm gonna have some reggae music for you. I am Dan Day. Where you at? You can find me on social media at Dan Day Radio, and we are gonna find some of the Joe Rose Show in just a little bit. Talking football with Mike Florio, Greeny talking baseball with Bob Costas, then Hawk and Crowder talking basketball. UD's possible perfect ending. Touching them all here on the Radio Rewind show, so let's touch them all with some headlines. After finally getting into a game this season, in just three minutes, team captain Udonis Haslam scored four points and was ejected for fighting. Miami rolled over Philadelphia 106-94. Next up, Milwaukee tomorrow night at 8. The Marlins won their second in a row over Arizona last night 5-1. Tonight, they begin a three-game series with the world champ Dodgers at 10-10. The Dolphins signed running back Jared Dokes from Cincinnati and O-lineman Larnell Coleman from UMass yesterday. Both were 2021 seventh-round picks. Five-star Miami signee James Williams has been named Gatorade Florida Football Player of the Year. The safety played last season with Plantation American Heritage High School. Dates for the Panthers' Lightning Playoff Series have been released. The series starts Sunday at 7.30 p.m. Despite having MLS's highest payroll and its third highest paid player in Gonzalo Higuain, Inter-Miami is just 1-2-2. Two, and two. Inter takes on Cincinnati Sunday at 4. And now, it's been a week. Let's take a step into the day spa. <sighs> Russia's space agency has chosen four people to act in what will be the first movie shot in space. The role of a lifetime, I guess. While showing her boss that her internet was down, a woman unwillingly revealed her Wi-Fi name to be It Hurts When I Pee. What? All the other names were taken? A woman hired a professional photographer to help her fake a wedding in order to make her ex jealous. My hot mess of the day. A fitness guru posted a video online of him eating raw chicken. I hope they post his impending hospital visit online also. Never worry. Grab the papers, stop the presses, and get yourself some Joe Rose in the morning from 6 to 10. Always got to hear his insight, especially into football, because Joe Rose played football. He caught Dan Marino's first touchdown pass as a pro. So you know he's got you covered, especially when he's talking to Mike Florio. They're talking about that big Pats 
Bucks game later this year. Woo! Wonder why Vite's excited about that one. Also, we're probably going to have a lot more Christmas football in the future and the futures of Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson. Mike, good morning. And you have an extra five or $6,000 sitting around so I can sit by myself for the uh, Patriots game, um, the Patriots and Bucks game week, uh, was it week four? You have about six grand I can borrow? It's going to be one of the biggest tickets ever and for good reason. Think about it. The last time, undoubtedly, Tom Brady ever enters Gillette Stadium until they retire his number, showing up wearing a different uniform. The reception that he gets will probably be unlike any reception a former player has ever gotten. It really is going to be a special night, and it's great that it's going to be in prime time so a maximum audience can see it. And uh, I I can't wait to see how it all plays out. Uh, But, yeah, you're right. It's, It's not going to be cheap to get in. And that's one of those weeks where I'm kind of hoping that we, we take Football Night in America on the road so, uh, you know, we get to witness it too instead of watching it on TV. Well, you talk about a game of games for Sunday night. My God, is that, that is, uh, that's, that's a different level. Hey, uh, we got a lot of, lot of stuff to get to. Uh, people brought this up. I didn't think of it with the 17 games. Now, you think we're going to see load management by some teams, kind of how they're going to treat this thing to get guys through healthy for a season? I don't know that we'll hear that term. I don't know that you give a guy, for example, a whole week off during the regular season. We're going to see load management in the form of practice schedules, and we already see that with older players. Guys getting that Wednesday off, that's become more common in recent years, the not injury-related designation that we see on the Wednesday practice reports. I could see, for a lot of these players, maybe more of a rotation where you work more guys in. I agree. You, yep. del- you deliberately give guys reps in the event that the starter does break down at some point so he's not being thrust into the mix cold. And, uh, you know, it's total snaps per game. And you, you, if you can limit, you know, five to seven snaps, if you can wipe that out over the course of, of a month or two, then, then maybe it's less total stress and strain. But that's going to be part of it. You, you've got another game full of snaps. Uh, you, you've got to have players on the field. And uh, how you manage your players, that's the key. And, and, and that's why whenever we hear the knee-jerk reaction, and it's a legitimate reaction, I'm not saying that it's unfounded, that it cuts against the idea of player health and safety to have these guys play 17 games and eventually 18 games because that's where the ball is moving. It, 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 there is every reason for the coaches to do what they have to do to, to protect their players and ensure that they're ready to go in week 18 or week 19 whenever we get to that point. Mike, um, I, I want to ask you about Christmas. Christmas is through the years, as you know, has been five NBA games, and the games get sexier as the day goes on, and they own from noon until midnight. And now, all of a sudden, the NFL has said, "You know what? We're going to take uh, we're going to take from about four till midnight ourselves with two football games that could be really good games." You surprised a little bit? That's been such an NBA thing. The NFL's jumping in. On a, on a I'm not surprised. I'm surprised it took them this long, ah. Joe. I really am. And we were talking about this yesterday on PFT Live. Okay, obviously when Christmas is on a Saturday, you take over the day. When Christmas is on a Sunday, they play all the games the day before. They play them on the 24th, but they've had Sunday night Christmas games. And my guess is they'll have a couple of them the next time Sunday's on a Christmas, which or Christmas is on a Sunday, or Sunday's on a Christmas, which will be next year, I believe. Look at it. You can do Monday Christmas games. You can do Tuesday if you really want to. Right. And if you get very creative with your bye weeks late in the year for the teams involved, you could do a Wednesday Christmas game. I think Wednesday's the toughest one. Thursday, 
no-brainer. Friday, no-brainer. We saw that last year with the Saints and the Vikings. Saturday, no-brainer. Sunday, Monday, no-brainer. Tuesday, Wednesday are the two where it gets a little dicey. But if you're creative in your scheduling of the games, you can, you can play those games on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. And, you know, I, I think we're going to see more of that creativity because the NFL had to do it by necessity last year with the pandemic. And, and as gambling spreads, people want those standalone games. You know, we got nine games to start the season at 1 o'clock week one. I, I don't like that. It's too much at once. I like it to be broken down a little bit more so we can focus what better way to do it than to have these creative windows? And I think Christmas is the starting point, but by no means the ending point. What, what do you think happens first? We find out what's really going on with Aaron Rodgers or we get some sort of answer of what's going on with Deshaun Watson? I think that the developments of the past two days in the Deshaun Watson case point to the very real possibility there's going to be a breakthrough and they're going to settle it. And, and let me tell you why. Rusty Harden, who represents Deshaun Watson, said yesterday in in kind of vague terms but it was very clear to the trained eye what he was saying he was saying one of the impediments to settlement has been that watson and harden want all the terms to be public and that busby wants them to be private it's usually the other way when you're talking about the resolution of a civil lawsuit the person writing the check wants it to be confidential because they don't want a bunch of other people showing up with their handout and making claims that they would regard as frivolous or spurious, and then they constantly have to settle this case, this case, this case. They want confidentiality. In this case, if Harden and Watson want it to be public, that tells me that the amounts that they're discussing aren't very significant. And I believe that what Harden will now do is give Busby the confidentiality he wants, Tony Busby, the lawyer who represents the 22 plaintiffs, because Harden has made his point. And so now when the cases are settled and there's confidentiality in the terms, when people like us talk about it, we'll be saying it must not have been for all that much money because Harden and Watson wanted it all to be public. So I I think that the dueling statements we saw this week from the lawyers very well could be a precursor to getting this case settled. So so the follow-up to that is, are there teams – is he going to be on somebody else's team and playing – at least a half a season this year? Could you see that happening if it gets settled? I'm a firm believer, based on people I've spoken to around the league, who are looking at four to six games, maybe eight, because I think he will be suspended. I think it's very difficult to not take action against him, considering the precedent that was set with Ben Roethlisberger in 2010. Even though the circumstances were somewhat different, the, the, the behavior that necessitates intervention, right. and that's, that's the reasoning that was articulated to Roethlisberger by the commissioner, the habit of having all of these massage therapists and apparently an expectation that whether they're interested or not, there's always going to be that door open that it turns into something sexual. I think that's something that that very easily the commissioner could discipline and suspend him for. But teams aren't going to be troubled by that. They're troubled by the idea of trading for a guy when you don't know how long he may be on the paid leave list. Because if you don't settle these cases, I don't think he's playing this year. So you want to trade for him and pay him $10 million, he doesn't play for this year. Next year, his salary is $35 million. If these cases linger, you're going to give them $45 million to sit on the bench for two years. The moment these cases settle, I think that's when the wheels are in motion for someone to trade for them. And the teams that I think that are top of the list are the Dolphins and the Eagles. Uh, so now the Aaron Rodgers stuff, like what's going to be the end result here? Uh, do, you think he play, do you think he plays another down for Green Bay? At the risk of being beaten up by his former teammate, John Kuhn, who took exception <laughs> to my characterization of him as a surrogate, for Aaron Rodgers, 
I, I think this is what's been happening. Rogers talks to certain people knowing that there's a good chance they'll end up talking publicly about what they talked about. And when you have John Kuhn and James Jones saying, hey, you know, we're friends with Aaron. We talked to Aaron. We think this is fixable. I think that's Aaron's way. Whether these guys are in on it or not, it's possible they're just pawns on the chessboard that Aaron is working. I think he's trying to get the idea out there that this is fixable so that he can show up and maybe maybe they give him some sort of an olive branch contractually. Maybe, you know, he takes whatever they're willing to do. If they've offered him this, they've offered him that, whatever. And he can claim victory and he can say, why did everybody make this a big deal? This is no big deal and chastise the media when he could have at any point posted a video on social media, talked to Mike Rico at the Kentucky Derby a couple of weeks ago, all sorts of things he could have done to put the toothpaste back in the tube on this. I think, I think right now he's going to be there because the Packers aren't going to trade him unless they have a change of heart. The attitude is play for us or play for no one. And if he plays for no one, he ultimately owes them almost $30 million and he doesn't get to play anymore. Right. I mean, the, the guy had said he wants to play into his 40s. So, okay, you don't want to play for the Packers. Well, they're not going to trade you. So what are you going to do, Aaron? Are you going to sit at home or are you going to play football? And ultimately, you know, he's not mad at his teammates. He's not mad at his coaching staff. He's just mad at the front office. So I think, he's, I think that however it ends up, unless, unless they have a dramatic change of heart and trade him to the Broncos, He's playing for the Packers this year. Yeah, I. Uh, by the way, it's a great point. He, he. Listen, those guys, those great ones, they have an ego. They want to play. They want to put up numbers. And he knows he's still got a damn good team in Green Bay. He's not going to some crap team. They're pretty good. So uh, that it would be even you. better if they hadn't used the first round pick and fourth round pick on Jordan Love last that year. That would have been nice. It could have been a wide receiver. <laughs> You're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. No, no That's question fine. about it. Mike, as always, man, thank you so much. A lot of good stuff this morning. Really appreciate it. And stop making people, you know, so upset with you, man. Stop Wait, it. Mike, if, before if you leave, I, I have to. Listen, if you call me next week and I don't answer, find John Kuhn and look in the trunk of his car. Wait, but Mike, before we let you go, I got to ask you this. Every year before the Hall of Fame stuff comes up, we always have Armando Salguero on, especially if there's a Dolphin in the mix. We're going to have to start doing that with you before the schedule comes out so the Dolphins can get back on Sunday Night Football. You're going to have to be our advocate there to get us oh, back man. on Sunday Night Football. We're, we're on hey, drought. Hey, hey, you know, there's, there's one way to get on. Yeah, I it's know. what Adrian said to Rocky when she came out of the coma. <laughs> oh, Mike, you're the best. What are we Bye, Mike. I know. Thanks, Mike. Joe Rose will get your football straight weekdays from 6 to 10, always making it happen. Another guy that's been making it happen and making it happen good for a long time, Greeny, joined by Bob Costas. And it is not eyebrow-raising at all when someone hits or approaches 100 miles an hour. This is why you hear talk of moving the mound back a foot and other things. Nice little one-two punch next here on 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. Five sixty, the Joe Radio Rewind, running back some of the best you've heard over the past twenty-four hours here on Five Sixty. Where you at? It's Dan Day. Got my guy Trevor Young of Soja giving us some reggae music because it is a feel-good Friday. And I want you to feel good as you go into the weekend. Good reggae vibes. Ah, yes, indeed. Hit me up on social media at Dan Day Radio, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, OnlyFans. If there were ever demand for it. Please, 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 please. Always saying please, 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 please. More with Greeny weekdays from 10 to noon. He's joined by 
Bob Costas. We're talking baseball and maybe some of the changes that are going into baseball, analytics, and the rules. And with that, it's always my pleasure to welcome to the program the one, the only Bob Costas with us here on ESPN Radio. Good morning, Bob. Hello, Mike. How are you? I'm well. Where do we find you these days? Where, 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 is, where is Bob Costa spending this lovely May? In a general sense, I am in Southern California. <laughs> okay, fair enough. See, you never know. So I was just—I actually thought. I wonder how early in the morning it is where we have found Mr. Costas. It is a pleasure. And you know what, Bob? I, it, these are heady times for baseball, and those of us like you and me who love it. TV ratings are up at a time when that is fairly uncommon in sports in general, to what do you attribute that, Bob? I am at a loss. I'm happy about it. What's your theory? He asked what your theory. Oh, what is my theory? I'm well, sorry. I thought, yes. I thought you got cut off. I, I actually thought my, my, my theory <laughs> is that there is just some, there is some, an element of normalcy that is returning to our lives on some level, and baseball is so normal. It just feels so normal to have a ball game on that, that there's something about, about baseball's rhythm, which has always meant the beginning of spring, that particularly for those of us who live in cold-weather places. Now, Bob, you're in Southern California. I, I don't know exactly what it's been like there. I can tell you that here in New York, the winter was brutal. I mean, just brutal, more so than usual, because mm-hmm. not only is it cold and everything else, but everything is closed, and you couldn't do anything outside, which is where things were safe to do during the, the worst of the pandemic, because it was too cold to do anything outside. And so I think there is something about the, re- the coming of spring, the return of spring, the return of some degree of normalcy that baseball fits nicely into. That probably is a stupid idea, but it's the best one I could come up with. It's not a stupid idea. It's as good as anything I could come up with. So what do you need me for here? I mean, you basically got it covered. <laughs> See, I should just ask. This is what I've felt for a long time, Bob. I should just ask and answer the questions, right? I mean, the show yeah. at, that, at that point would be outstanding. It would. It would. And, and, and would, it would cut overhead somewhat. <laughs> Although, <laughs> not, Bob. Not, not a lot, because as I, as I think about it, this is yet another pro bono experience. Uh, appearance but nonetheless that's right i mean i could triple what we're paying you today bob and it wouldn't cost yeah, the company yeah. anything so. <laughs> that, is, that is correct <laughs> we'd be fine and happily so uh, the, the other thing that's interesting about it uh, we were hembo and i were just talking about it that this is the year of the pitcher 2.0 and and so this this you know with with the great pitching that we are seeing garrett cole brilliant last night we used jacob Degrom and some others and w- the the perhaps the long-standing belief that the key to baseball attracting an audience was in huge outlandish offensive numbers, maybe that is being to some degree disproven by the fact that this renewed interest in the sport is coming at a time that we are living through another year of, or a year of dominant pitching. Yeah, I don't think that fans, especially only a month, month and a half into the season, are that mindful of trends. I think what you said earlier makes sense, even though, the stadiums, by and large, except maybe in Atlanta and in Texas, aren't full. Uh, it still feels close to normal. There are some fans in the stands. They're playing in their own ballparks. There's anticipation that wherever the World Series is, it's going to be in a home team's ballpark and not in a bubble. I think that probably has more to do with it than people perceiving trends at this point. But that trend is that velocity is so up. It used to be noteworthy when someone threw more than 90 miles an hour. Now 90 is beneath the average big league fastball, and it is not eyebrow-raising at all when someone hits or approaches 100 miles an hour. 
This is why you hear talk of moving the mound back a foot and other things. So you've got all this increased velocity, plus with legitimate technology, in addition to perhaps cheating at the edges with substances and whatnot on the baseball. I'm not talking about steroids in this mm. case, but legitimate sports technology and sports science has increased the efficiency of pitchers in addition to velocity, getting maximum spin rate and all those things. And then you combine it with a generation or more of hitters who are more concerned with launch angle, not all of them, but the majority of them more concerned with launch angle than contact. How are you going to make consistent contact when you're swinging for the fences and somebody has maximized spin rate plus is approaching a hundred miles an hour. Uh, it's a pretty easy conclusion to reach that this favors pitchers. And I kind of like it. And, and, and I think it sort of flies in the face of what people might have previously expected. And that doesn't mean that we are without problems, but it's what is delightful, Bob, I will, I will give you a little background here. So I, I believe you know Hembo, my man Hembo, who loves baseball more than maybe even more than you do. I've never met anyone who loves mm-hmm. anything like he loves baseball. And he sent me a variety of questions. You know, I said, oh, we have Bob coming on tomorrow. Send me a bunch of stuff. He sends me a bunch of stuff. And not one of them, here's how we fix baseball. Not one of them was, here's mm-hmm. what's wrong. Let's try and fix it. And, and for so long, it feels like all of the baseball conversations have been about what's wrong. How do we go about fixing it? And it doesn't feel like that is the conversation. I don't hear it when I'm listening to talk shows. I don't read it much when I read columnists whose opinions I value. It's not one of the first things you or I wanted to talk about in this conversation conversation just that in and of itself i think is refreshing yeah it's a positive no question about it let's just note something that's real though theo epstein is now working in the commissioner's office and part of his job is to rein in the monster he helped to create Mm -hmm. and i'm not being critical of him when i say that uh he broke long droughts in both boston and in chicago he's going to go in the hall of fame as one of the best executives of his time Even he concedes that some of what analytics brought about that might have provided a competitive edge is bad for baseball as an entertainment product. So even if our attentions are temporarily elsewhere, uh, that doesn't mean that people are turning their back on a problem that has built over time and that they have to experiment with various ways, at least toss around ideas to address. And without being uh, a doom and gloom guy, There is something which I hope they can handle that's looming, which is yet another likely contentious disagreement over the upcoming uh, collective bargaining agreement. (laughs) If it is an agreement, it's seldom really an agreement. (laughs) It's usually just kind of a a war of attrition and then a truce at the end. And so much of it plays out publicly. Uh, It never works to baseball's advantage. And I, I hope they can Uh, if not avoid it, at least kind of tamp it down this time around. I agree. And the animosity there feels as though it is um, at at the sort of level that that I recall it being back in the days when we would frequently have prolonged work stoppages. Let's hope we don't get there. Mm -hmm. Greeny and Bob Costas. Okay, so here's here, Bob. Here's what what we do. Rather than seeing a problem and just bemoaning it, Hembo and I actually attacked one of them after our last conversation with you. And here's one of our suggestions. Mm -hmm. And I'm delighted to tell you that coincidentally or otherwise, Like three days after we said this on the air, the Atlantic League adopted this rule, which is one of the things I think that baseball misses to some degree is the legendary starting pitcher 
still out there in the seventh inning, the eighth inning, mm-hmm. facing the slugger, and you know, in, in a big moment in the eighth inning, you know, the way I, I remember, you know, watching Reggie Jackson when I was a kid going up against the, the legendary starting pitcher in the World Series. He, he, so we attacked it this way. This would be the rule. Universal DH. So there's a DH in both leagues. Every game in Major League Baseball is played with a DH. But when the starting pitcher is removed, the DH goes away. And that would be mm-hmm. an, an, an incentive for teams to leave their starting pitcher out there longer if they are pitching well, pitch deeper into games. Uh, obviously, the legendary moment that took place in the World Series last year maybe doesn't happen. And again, we talked about this on the air. Three days later, I think it was, the Atlantic League adopted the idea. What do you, Bob, think of the idea? Pluses and minuses, universal DH, which probably is inevitable, takes away uh, some of the subtleties and texture of the National League game. I'm not saying they need a PhD to pull off a double switch, <laughs> but the the National League game can be more strategically interesting, and there may be unintended consequences. It may sound good on the face of it uh, to what they're experimenting with in the Atlantic League, uh, but there are so many potential drawbacks. The guys get knocked around in the first or second inning, but you're not really out of the game. Um, should you remove him at this point and then play at a huge disadvantage, or do you leave him in and he gets further pummeled in the game's out of hand by the second or third inning. Uh, I think a lot of managers would have a very difficult time with that, but that's why they should experiment with everything, with with a pitch clock, with banning shifts, with the, the new Atlantic League rule that you just described. They should experiment with everything at various levels of the minor leagues, which is what they're doing. That's why Tia Epstein and others have turned their attentions to it. Try everything and see what actually seems to work out. I like that. And you know what? I knew I anticipated that issue. And Hembo and I actually just came up with a corollary, if you will. You know, one of my favorite things about the record book, excuse me, about the rule book in baseball is is the indexing. It's like there's rule 134-7.B and then C and then D. So all I need Mm -hmm. is like one follow-up, which is that if you remove your pitcher in the first three innings, this rule does not apply and then applies when you make the next pitching change. And that would address what you're talking about, which is my pitcher just doesn't have it tonight. And it would still alleviate. The problem we're trying to address is a guy has thrown 87 pitches. It was the DeGrom game that we first started talking about this early. How many pitches had he thrown? Around 90 pitches. His first start of the year, but he was shoving. He was was untouchable. He had thrown 80-something pitches, I think it was, and they took him out. And, and and the whole world went crazy. And and so that was when we first decided that's what we're trying to, to stave off, Bob. We're, we're not obviously trying to mandate that every pitcher has to go seven innings if he can't. But at the pitch, what we want to do is leave the guy in there if he obviously can. So that would be the way we would. That's my first corollary to the rule. See, that's a reasonable response. You've obviously given this more deep thought than I have. Uh, on the other <laughs> hand, it would take away <laughs> with, it, without that corollary, it, it would have taken away what is an interesting uh, strategic wrinkle, which uh, the Rays were the first to initiate and then um, others followed in some cases, which is the idea of an opener, uh, which is not not a bad idea in certain situations. It's an interesting idea in certain situations. But back to your original point, it used to be, don't want to sound like back in my day, but it used to be you looked in the paper or whatever uh, before the internet, you actually held the newspaper and you looked at it, you said, oh, look at this. Tom Tom Seaver 
Tom Seaver going up against Don Sutton mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. This is a matchup you wanted to see. And you anticipated that they would each go deep into the game. And what you described was also part of the intrigue. Okay, up comes Willie Stargell, let's say, against Seaver. Now we're talking about a different game because now the Mets are playing the Pirates. So <laughs> Willie Stargell comes up, and it's the eighth inning. And it's a key situation. Now it's automatic, no matter how good the starting pitcher is. If it's Max Scherzer, and now the game is 2-1, to one, and there are runners on first and second, and it's the eighth inning, and the heart of the order is coming up, Max Scherzer probably doesn't get a chance to work his way out of that situation. It was never a thought if Tom Seaver was on the mound or Juan Marichal was on the mound or whatever the case might have been. But part of your thought, if you had followed the entire game, was what did Stargell hit for the double back in the fourth? And what did he strike him out on in the sixth? And Seaver and Stargell are also playing that cat-and-mouse game. That's part of the fascinating texture of a pitcher's duel where each pitcher goes deep into the game. What you're describing is what makes baseball great. Fascinating right there. How much baseball can stay grounded and traditional and then also be changing at the same time. It's fascinating how Hawk and Crowder can give us sports takes but also be hilarious at the same time. Could there be a more perfect sequence than the sequence Udonis Haslam gave us? More of that next Plus some reggae music because it's a feel-good Friday here on 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. Whoa, whoa, yeah. 560 The Joe Radio Rewind. Running back some of the best you've heard here on 560 over the past 24 hours. Got some crown prince of reggae going on in the background. Dennis Brown with Westbound Train, my favorite reggae artist, favorite reggae song from him. So... Got my favorites right there. I am Dan Day, by the way. Thank you so much for listening. It's always a very thankful and pleasurable listen when you got Hawk and Crowder on. Sports, fun, family, the whole nine yards. Right now they're talking about UD's possibly perfect ending and that fighting mentality. Into the ballgame, and congratulations, Jadonis Haslam. He is coming into the ballgame now. Great to see Mr. 305 getting out on the floor for the first time this season. Maxie trying to split the defense, goes in, puts up a tough shot off the rim, won't go. Tipped out there by UD. Zagorin Dragic, Dragic, bounce pass Iguodala into UD. Layup, got it to go! Yudanis Haslam puts the layup in. Now Zagorin Dragic, Dragic in the corner. Shot good on the wing there by Yudanis Haslam in the heat up 40-22. Uh, so great to see. This is vintage Udonis right now. Don't put OG in the game because he's looking to fight. Wow. Oh, Dwight Howard uh, pushing off Udonis Haslam. And uh, I think we're going to get, uh, I'm not too sure what happened there. Now Haslam's having words with Dwight Howard. I'm loving this right now. Oh, here we go. Haslam pointing the finger may have made contact. Oh, this is getting chippy here. Have they been tossed? He talked about his toughness before. Howard throws him to the ground here. Now, here's the words between Haslam. May have been contact, yeah. And UD got a chance to play and uh, played a couple of minutes. Got four points and a rebound and got tossed. Don't put OG in the game because he's looking to fight. Add to the ball. 
Nice. Felt great. Felt great. I mean, I ended it the only way, uh, only, the, only <laughs> the way that you don't as we could, you know, with an ejection. So um, I don't regret it. I love confrontation, altercation. I feed off of it. We feed off of it. I encourage it. The only thing I was waiting for is for him to take his mouthpiece out and throw it at Joey Crawford. That's my favorite moment of the season so far. Just excessive passion, competitiveness, uh, and anger. Um, just love it, and, uh, and that's why we uh, we roll with you, dude. And bam, sums it up best in there. <laughs> Mother bleeper's crazy. <laughs> it ran through my mind watching that last night. Could there have been a more perfect sequence than the only sequence of Udonis Haslam playing time this season? And I'm assuming that'll be it, right? I mean, I'm, I don't know if he's going to play next season. Let's assume that that's it, though. Could there be a more perfect sequence than the sequence Udonis Haslam gave us last night? Checks in. Crowd goes wild. Spo obviously saving it for a home game, last home game. He hustles for a ball that's flying out of bounds. Yep. He, he, he hustles and, and almost saves a ball that's going out of bounds, hits a bucket, gets tossed from the game. I mean, it's, it's, the, <laughs> it's such a perfect sequence, no? Yeah. Ooh. Thinking about it now, the only thing that would be better if they didn't get there early enough and he could have took a swing on Dwight. <laughs> Only thing can make it better. Because I, I would ask you this. What would you have preferred? Let's assume that that's Udonis' final game as a player. Okay? What would you have preferred? Udonis Haslam putting up a triple-double in his only game during the season this season. Or Udonis Haslam getting ejected a few minutes after he checks in. The latter. Right, the, ex the exact way it happened is the beautiful way for it to right? go. Right, Solana, yes. which one would you have preferred? UD puts up a triple double, which is would have been an amazing story as well. We'd have been having the montages for UD, but which one would you have preferred? UD puts up a triple double, or UD gets tossed going after Dwight Howard? UD gets tossed going after Dwight Howard, baby. <laughs> yes. It's not even a debate, right? I mean, that's no. that's who he is. Think about what we know about UD. Like, we don't talk about – what's your memories of UD? Mine is him cussing out Lance Stevenson. Lance Mine is him Stevenson. mushing <laughs> – he mushed uh, some dude in the mouth. I, they have the videos of it now. Like, when you think of UD, you think of him bullying other people. So, yes, go bully somebody. Go put some fear in somebody's heart. That's what UD he, he did went, for 18 he, years. He went out there to do that last night, too. He was yes. looking for the I'm, – I'm sure back in your day when your testosterone was flowing heavy – uh, Crowder, there's certain nights you went out and you were looking for somebody to just look at you the wrong way. <laughs> I wish he would look in this direction. Right? Knock right? his ass out. Certain yeah. nights you just had that disposition, right? Yep. Certain yes. nights you just had that disposition. UD had that disposition last night. I want someone to follow me hard. I want someone to step to me at some point. I want someone to try to wrestle a ball away from me. And he got what he was looking for, and uh, and he uh, he did it the way UD does it. It, I, it was just brilliant. It was and brilliant. You, UD, I've talked to him about it. You know, I've heard him interviews about it. He even said it. He was like, I don't want nothing to change. I loved how I went out. There's no he, And he spoke about himself in third person. I'll let UD get away with that because he's UD. When he sees Pi, when he sees a, a guy that he deems is soft, he's going to let him know, I believe you're soft. 
Yep. And I think he saw Dwight Howard. He no saw this soft dude throw me to the ground. Oh, softy, that's how you feel? And yep. he had to go get after him. He, no he, question. Blood, blood in the water, Hawk. He yep. smelt the blood in the water. Yep, no question. So you love that, Solana? I mean, you are a Heat fan since you've been born. You love that. I told you yesterday I wouldn't be in the building. I am regretting that. I couldn't fall asleep last night thinking that I missed <laughs> UD's last game, and that's how he went out. It, it was a perfect way to go out. Solana's got the guts, by the way. Solana's got the guts. He had the guts before the game. Was that? I, I don't know if you can do this with a defending Eastern Conference champion. Did the defending Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat have a statement game last night? Yes. Yes. Was that a statement game? Do I mean, I don't even know if the defending Eastern Conference champs need to make a statement. But if they did, was that a statement game? Hey, yeah, you tough bullies, number one in the East. Watch what we do to you. Yeah, I think I think they did, even though, to your point, they are like they're defending East Eastern champions, but they got whooped by some bad teams later in the year. People were questioning them. And to go out against Philly, who's, you know, the top team in the East, and whoop them like – or the best record. I think the Nets are better. But right. the best record in the East, to go whoop them like that. And that – that that the, what was it, 12 points? They could have beat them by 30. They took their foot off the gas. They took everybody out the game. That was a statement game in my mind. It gave me a lot more guts. I'm, I'm up to Solana-level guts after last night. Was that a statement game, Solana? You feel like it was a statement or they don't need to make a statement? They don't need to make a statement, but – they sent a message, not just to the Sixers, who are also now petrified of the Miami Heat. They want no part of the Heat in a seven-game series. They sent a message to the entire Eastern Dam Conference, which is, yeah, we're still good. We're still really good, and you don't want to play us in a seven-game series. Like, are, are the Heat, I'm trying to think of like an analogy, are the Heat Debo, the Eastern Conference is... The Eastern Con- the Eastern Conference is the neighborhood while Debo is in jail. Oh yeah, man, we got this, and he ain't that bad, and he's not that tough. And then all of a sudden, Debo gets get- let out of jail, and now the East is uh, putting their chains inside their shirts. <laughs> yes, I kind of feel a- like that's what's going on. Yeah, just tuck it in. Maybe not take it off. Just tuck it inside. Oh, here comes Bam. They go, Jimmy, Jimmy. Here, put yours in. Put yours in. <laughs> you know, maybe who? Are, what are they, Craig? Though. Because everybody thinks the Nets and the and Philly are the Debo's of are the Debo. East now, yeah. and then Craig came and knocked Debo out with the brick. I, that's a good question. Are are they known as the bully of the East right now? That's a hell of a question. Very interesting. Things are going to get real fun during the playoffs. I have a feeling. You know why Spo liked it too, and I thought about this right after it happened. There's a chance they play Philly again. Yep. One of them big dudes, Joel Embiid, because Joel Embiid to get a little spicy too. Or, or Dwight Howard gets a little spicy. UD goes to the to the scores table, and the whole <laughs> think about that. The whole Philly team looks over there and like, oh yep. damn, they putting in this crazy yep. dude again. Yep. Like it's a it's some intimidation factor created off what happened last night. And, and it's not just UD, by the way. Like Trevor Ariza got into Embiid's head yesterday as well. What the Heat did, and and credit to Eric Spolstra, like they played Philly defensively, unlike any other team's been doing it, or unlike any other teams had success doing it all season. Trevor Reza's facing up Joel Embiid. They're forcing a double with Dwayne Dedman, Bam Adebayo. Good luck, Ben Simmons. Good bleeping luck. Luck beating Bam Adebayo off the dribble. You saw 6'10". Doesn't do anything but pass the ball, that Ben Simmons. I was 
I doesn't was watching do anything Kendrick like Perkins. I was watching Kendrick Perkins on first take this morning, and he was saying, he's, and you know he's been out with us, how much he loves Eric Spolstra. He said, Eric Spolstra, I've been telling you, he is a top five coach all time in the NBA. And he was saying exactly what you were saying, Solana. He said, Eric Spolstra, I'm watching that game last night. I'm confused as to what kind of defense they were playing. Perk's like, I'm watching this. I'm confused. And he said, that's what Eric Spolstra gives you. And he said, that guy is a top five NBA coach in history. So I say, wow. things are going to get exciting for the uh, for the playoffs because these untouchable teams may find out that there's a shark lurking in the water, dorsal fin up and uh, ready to uh, pounce. So what can I say? UD's the man. Maxi trying to split the defense, goes in, puts up a tough shot off the rim, won't go, tipped out there by UD. To Goran Dragic, Dragic, bounce pass Iguodala into UD, layup, got it to go, Udonis Haslam puts the layup in. Now to Goran Dragic, Dragic in the corner, shot good on the wing there by Udonis Haslam in the heat up 40-22. Oh, it's so great to see, this is vintage Udonis right now. Wow. Oh, Dwight Howard uh, pushing off Udonis Haslam. And uh, I think we're going to get, uh, I'm not too sure what happened there. And uh, UD having words. So well, let's see what happens here. So I think we've got a couple of technicals on both players. Wow, this is going to be shipping here. Have they been tossed? Yeah. Yep. yep. UD just got tossed. So Udonis Haslam is out of the ball game. And UD got a chance to play and uh, played a couple of minutes, got four points and a rebound, and got tossed. UD truly is the man. I'd like to thank you, man and woman, for listening today. We'll be back at it again Monday, 560 The Joe, Radio Rewind. Later, slug. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.